Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are continuing our big man offseason primer. And Gavin, today we are, there were so many guys to discuss and so many angles to look at that we are now doing part two of the incumbents, which would normally be a one part show. Yeah, we got the power forwards last time, this time all about the centers, Mitchell Robinson, what we would offer him for his next contract. And then in a scenario where Mitch does not come back to New York, uh, who are the alternatives? Would we be okay with Nerlens or Jericho starting at center? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines. Than ever before, bet online where the game starts. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your podcast platform of choice or if you're checking us out on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster in the midst of a like, 40 games and 20 days stretch or something uh, covering the end of high school sports season. So hardest working man in show, hardest working man in showbiz over here. Uh, And we are, as we said in the intro, discussing the centers that are currently on the Knicks and, or at least for the moment, Mitchell Robinson, a pending free agent and how we would approach these guys before we get into some external options, which we're going to get into via some, probably some crossovers and, uh, another draft show, I'm sure, where we're going to focus more on bigs and all kinds of good stuff. Certainly some intriguing options all around the NBA as far as free agents, trade targets, and draft targets. But some pretty intriguing discussions to be had on the Knicks roster as well, Gavin. Uh, I already mentioned it, but Mitchell Robinson is a free agent going into the summer unrestricted. Uh, it's due to the nature of his contract. I know we've gone over this before, but just for the sake of of repeating it in case anyone missed a, a older show where we went over it. Uh, he is an unrestricted free agent despite coming off his rookie contract because as a second round pick, the rules are a little different. So when you're a first round pick, you're locked into a salary scale. Um, and there's, there's like more structure to how the contract works. So uh, first two seasons are guaranteed. And then the third and fourth seasons each have options on them uh, with a, uh, first round rookie scale deal. If you get declined on any of those options, you can become a unrestricted free agent. Uh, but if, if your team sees your four years through, then you become a restricted free agent after four years and the team gets the ability to match any contract as a second round pick, things are a little different. So there is no scale guys negotiate their contracts. And so much like we're seeing with Jalen Brunson as well, who actually is going to have the same situation as Mitch this year, where the, the Mavs can extend him all the way up until the day of the new league year, which is typically July 1st, although I think in the last few years they made it June 30th. But uh, whenever the new league year starts and free agency starts, they can 
negotiate a contract extension up to a certain dollar amount up until that point, which I think is like four years, $56 million or something like that, which is what Mitch could get as well. Uh, but then after that date, fully unrestricted free agent had the Knicks uh, opted to not pick up Mitch's fourth year option last summer. They could have had him hit restricted free agency as a second round pick. Cause that's what happens after three years when you're a second round pick. But again, they, they decided to go the route of picking up his fourth year option and bringing him back, which makes him an unrestricted free agent after this uh, league year is up. So Gavin, all, all that is to say, there's a big decision to be made for the Knicks here. You know, I, I think that Mitch had a pretty complicated season this year. I don't know if you want to give sort of a season in review and then, and then just kind of start us off with where you're at on Mitch right now as an option for the Knicks going into this summer. Yeah. So I wanted to start off with um, uh, like the, the concept that Mark Berman brought up when he came on the pod and I, I don't want to misquote Mark. So hopefully I'm representing this accurately, but he, he said something along the lines of the Knicks just don't see him as a long-term fit offensively next to Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. And obviously that, that takes us back to our last podcast is that only relevant if Julius Randle's still on the team and if Julius Randle isn't still on the team does that change where you're at on Mitchell Robinson because to me it, it it's almost a one or the other situation or maybe neither um and I I know I don't want Julius back so let, let's if we operate in a world where Julius isn't back you got to kind of project forward with what Mitchell Robinson can be as a player right and we know last year like again I think he set what would have been a field goal percentage record in NBA history if he had taken enough shots like uh, just automatic around the rim he was an improved rebounder um for stretches last season I believe the best offensive rebounder in all of basketball was someone as we often remarked on certain nights just completely overwhelming and dominant particularly against teams without a ton of size like I remember that that COVID stretch like where they played the Pistons and the Pistons just were bereft of a lot of their usual bigs. I think it was Isaiah Stewart starting at center and, and Mitch put together just one of the more dominating games I've seen from a Nick center in my lifetime. It was like 2016, four blocks. And those nights were, were not necessarily common, but they weren't insanely infrequent at either. Right. He had like eight to 12 of those games throughout the year where he was arguably the best player on the court for the New York Knicks. And then equally, there were a lot of games, particularly against premier competition, where he just didn't really show up. Like, And it wasn't even him getting into foul trouble. Like, You just didn't really see him make an impact on the game. And Alex, the thing I always struggle um, at with Mitch is offensively, he is a guy outside of his offensive rebounding and, and pick and roll diving is pretty much just reliant on other players to get in the basketball. And that's who he is. And, and I think we're both okay with that at this point. We sort of accept that. Like our, our dreams of, of Mitch toasting people off the dribble and, and getting to the rim, even if it's just one or two dribble moves, which we talked about a, a lot last offseason, I'm not going to waste a single second in my offseason talking about that again. If, if he pulls it out of nowhere, great. Uh, going into, I believe, year five for him, right? I, I'm assuming that is not going to happen. That is not going to be a part of his game, even though, um, what was it, against the Orlando Magic? Or was that the team where he, he always does it against? Um, maybe, maybe one opponent a year. Uh, he can pull that off. Point being, in a different context on a team that I will say features more ball movement, more shooting, uh, more heavily featuring Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin in lineups with Mitchell Robinson, those lineups with those three all year were pretty darn good. I wonder if there's a different player in there, but what are your thoughts on that of him being a context dependent player and depending on how the Knicks shift the roster, particularly if Julius Randle is no longer on the roster, that he could be a different guy next season. Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement with you. I think that, you know, he's, he's very much, reliant on others he I think would do best with a, a player 
at the point guard and a scheme which emphasized pick and roll, which would allow him to do his best, you know, thing in, in his arsenal, which is dive to the rim and catch lobs all day. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're starting Alec Burks out there at point guard for most of the year, who's frankly not a point guard, and, you know, other than him starting like Kemba Walker, who was, you know, touch and go, and then Julius Randle doing so much ball handling and not running a lot of four or five pick and roll, it just neutralized a lot of what made Mitch good. And yet still, as you said, there were still those games where he was so dominant on the offensive glass that like it didn't even matter if they weren't running pick and rolls for him because he would just be there to gobble up everything if guys missed. And I mean, there were stretches where he was getting routinely like seven, eight, nine offensive rebounds a game, which is insane. I mean, that's the most guys hope to get that in total on the boards. And he was just getting that per game and generating that many second opportunities. So like, there, there's definitely parts of his game where I think he's really special. I think to your point, if you can, if you can maybe move on from Julius Randle, maybe that makes the decision to bring Mitch back easier. Unfortunately, you've also reached this point though where it's a it's a two way street, right? And as Mark, you know, noted on the pod, uh, maybe Mitch is ready to move on, and he has full autonomy to do that. The Knicks have no means of keeping him around if he doesn't want to be around at this point. So that's the other thing to consider. I, I'm personally of the opinion, and maybe we could discuss this in the next segment, uh, that you know they they should try to resign him because I just think, I think as as we'll get into as the show goes on, if you're not willing to make another move for a different player, I I don't know how much I want to really stick with with Mitch or with the other options other than Mitch I should say, um, because I they don't inspire as much confidence in me as Mitch does even for all of the the issues that you had with, you know, I will say too, the, the one thing you said that really resonated with me was like, there were so many instances of him showing out one game and then like really kind of crapping the bed the next game. And it, it just kind of made it really frustrating root for him this year at times because he would do so well and then suddenly do so poorly. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a lot of things to, to consider with him, but I, I think ultimately it's going to be a good decision to bring him back. Should the Knicks decide to do it. But again, it's, it's like you need two people to play ball in this case. And, and Mitch might not want to play ball anymore after how things have gone throughout his career, where things have been kind of up and down with this, with this organization to this point in his, in his life. So uh, we'll see how that all goes. I, I will throw that back to you in just a moment, but I do just need to let everybody know about Sakara real quick. And, I mean, feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. We saw Mitch coming into this season, you know, have to have to drop some uh, some extra bulk that he put on last offseason. Maybe the start for him is picking up Sakara this offseason. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Sakara gives you the tools you need to transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. Their nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfast, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful, plant-rich ingredients helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. I was lucky enough to get to try some Sakara products, and I was particularly impressed the one day with a a, a cashew-based, quote-unquote, goat cheese that it came with. I've tried a lot of plant-based cheeses before and I, I'm very hard to impress with that. Cause I actually love, uh, you know, cow and goat and whatever else milk, animal milk based cheeses. 
it blew me away. One of easily the best plant-based cheese I've ever had in my life. So if you're a big fan of that sort of thing and you want to try something plant-based, Sakar is definitely worth looking at. Uh, Sakar's functional plant-rich wellness essentials help you create a body you love living in from their best-selling metabolism super powder to the foundation, their daily supplement packs. Sakar's products are designed to support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. And right now, Sakar is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakar.com slash locked on 20 or enter code code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash locked on 20. All right, Gavin, uh, we're getting back into our discussion here about Mitchell Robinson. I figured we could start talking about contract, but I did want to throw it back to you if you had any other any other notes on Mitch before we lay down the figures that we'd be willing to give him uh, this offseason. Like, are there any closing notes on Mitch before we get into that? I, I guess the the only thought I have is, I, I and this this is just building on my previous point. Like, where does he still get better as a player, right? Because you you, you give a guy a contract, like whether whether it's big or small, it, it's an investment to some extent in, in the human being. And with Mitch, I'm not even like questioning his work ethic here necessarily i'm more so questioning the capacities of his game for someone who's for at least through this part of his career who's all of his success is pretty much based on his athleticism and his physical ability offensively defensively i think mitch has a lot of skill to his game and i give him a whole lot of credit right for getting better in terms of his ability um in drop coverage to play the man and play the roller and his ability to understand tibbs's uh defensive schemes and execute them at a really high level like that's that's hard work, and, and I, I don't want to take that away from Mitch, but at least on the offensive end, for someone who's not skill based, is it fair to? I, I know I know I'm answering your question with a question, but is it fair to project improvement over the life of that contract, or is he a guy who we've maybe already seen the best of because at least on offense, because his game is based on run and jump athleticism, and that's stuff that I, I know players usually peak when they're 28. Your ability to just jump high that peaks when you're like 21, 22, maybe even younger. So is there a world where we've seen Mitch at his best and there's just not that much more there? Well, I guess I would answer your question's question with another question. Oh, God. <laughs> which is, if if Mitch doesn't actually improve, like improve in the sense of adding new things to his yeah. game, you know what I'm saying? Like, And instead just perfects the things that he's already good at and can give it to you, can, like can give you best version of Mitch on a consistent basis, which would be like, let's even say that the the otherworldly lob catching kind of goes away because I think we saw some of that this year. Even once his conditioning improved towards the end of the year, I don't think he was getting quite as pogo sticky as he used to, uh, and wasn't you know grabbing lobs from eighteen feet away from the hoop and still finding a way to put them in. Um, so you know, let's say that he's just kind of settled in as just a a good to great you know lob catching threat, you know, but not like otherworldly. But he he keeps the you know the rim protection at its best as what it's been. He still gives you the occasional block three around the perimeter and that sort of thing, which has become like his staple. Um, you know, and, and he keeps the fouls down, keeps the field goal percentage up, and manages to get and keeps the offensive rebounding as elite as it's been, and, and just the overall rebounding and boxing out and everything. And let's just say that he fine tunes that to the point that he can give you the best version of himself all the time. Like, is that worth another contract? Because to me, I think that is worth another contract if it's in like the Robert Williams range. Like we, we have a, a range to find here where it's like, is he worth less than Robert Williams? So like four for 
56 or whatever it was that Williams got, uh, you know, he's definitely not worth like Jared Allen, like five for a hundred. Um, but you know, does he slot in there somewhere in that like 15 ish million range? I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable paying him that much. I think if I could guarantee that even if he never added off the dribble or a jump shot or any other thing that we've ever daydreamed about him adding, if he just does the things that he's done well and he manages to maintain a certain level and doesn't have the fluctuations like we saw this year, then I think I'd be willing to invest in him. But how do you feel about that? I think his, uh, his screening game has to get more consistent because to me, so much of that is effort-based and like, especially for a guy, like the whole conversation with him was that he bulked up to such an extent. He should never be afraid to hit anyone again. Like that. I remember we talked about that last off season. And then that just didn't come into fruition. Like he's still someone who, whose whole game is shooting towards the rim and I think that negates a lot of his athleticism because teams don't have to worry about him setting a hard pick. They can start dropping back in coverage right off the bat. And obviously, uh, to some extent, part of that was like the Knicks sort of limp, uh, impotent point guard play, which hopefully will be solved by Emmanuel Quickly and or Jalen Brunson uh, this year. Um, I, I I just think that like like those little things, like if I'm Leon Rose, I need to, after years of background and two years under Tibbs, I need to be able to look at Mitchell Robinson and say, this is a guy who wants to work on the little things. And, and to be fair, like we have no idea. He might be working his ass off with on that constantly and just might naturally not be that good at setting screens. Like everyone gave him crap for the workout videos where he's going between the legs, draining threes in people's faces. I never wanted to do that because that might've been at the end of like him, four hours of him grinding. And he just wanted to have some fun and post something fun on social media. All that is to say, if I'm confident that he's going to put the time in to refine like those more subtle parts of his game and, and just add a little nuance, both offensively and defensively, again, even if you don't have those like big, explosive, flashy skill jumps, even if you don't, even if he never adds a jump hook to your point, then I'm okay giving him right around Robert, what Robert Williams got, just because like with the TV contract, that's going to look like less and less over time. I don't think he's a better player than Robert Williams. I hate to say it. I think Robert Williams, fully healthy, probably a bit better than Mitch, or at least a little bit better than Mitch. Um, but I think he's, he's worth that money. And I think he, he can top out as an above average center. And, and that's about the range you pay someone like that. And most importantly, Alex, I'll note as, as good as Jericho Sims looked last year, I just don't think the Knicks have an option as good as him. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly what I think as well. And, you know, I, I just think going with the guy that, you know, can anchor the defense in, in Tibbs's scheme, which Tibbs is going to be the coach to start next year, you know, and, and probably would honestly become more of an asset potentially under a different coach who's more willing to embrace, you know, the pick and roll and using him as a rim runner more than he was used under Tibbs. I, I think there's, that's maybe your potential like quote unquote room for improvement where maybe he's not actually adding any skills, but maybe a different coach gets something different out of him uh, and makes him a more valuable player. I will just say on the note of the, the like off season training and stuff, if I was the Knicks, one thing that I would want to maybe try to stipulate in the contract. And I don't know how far you can go with this sort of thing uh, as far as, you know, controlling a player's development and that sort of thing. But I would try to work something into the deal where I would want a Knicks sanctioned trainer with him for X amount of weeks or a month or whatever during the off season. Because I will say the one thing that is always kind of stuck with me with Mitch in a, in an unfortunate way is that, Every single year, he seems to start off slow. 
for one reason or another. And it's like his rookie year, you know, obviously he was a rookie, so you can't hold it against him too much. But then his sophomore year, he came in and I remember thinking like, what did he work on this summer? Because it seems like he regressed, not progressed. You know what I mean? Like he, he was falling into many of the same bad habits that we saw during his rookie season. Then third year, last year, uh, I thought that he was, you know, I, I think he came out probably the strongest he's come out in any of his seasons. Then unfortunately gets hampered by a couple of kind of freak injuries and that, that ends the season way too early. But then this year comes in and it's like, what was his trainer telling him all summer? that adding this much weight was good for his game. Like he's not Shaq. He doesn't have a post game, you know, like why would you want to become just this beefy behemoth of a guy when your whole game is based on athleticism. And then, you know, I understand he had the injury that he was working back from and everything, but like his trainer should have been doing things to minimize his bulk during the off season. Even when he couldn't get the, the proper cardio and all those things in to get his win back the way that he needed I mean, there should have just been a better training program there. So if I'm the Knicks, I would want to see if I could work something out too with him and his agent and say, look, if you're coming back, can we just have a little more of a hand in your development? Because I, I don't know who you're put, trusting with your multi-million dollar basketball career here, but it might be more advantageous for you to have some different voices in the room to try to you know get things right for you. Because I don't think that uh, whoever's been working for him in the past has necessarily done the best job of that. No, our, our guy needs an off season of Sakara and built bar and nothing else. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. La- last thing I'll say, I mean, I mean, to your point, it, it was such a disaster with him coming into the start of the year, but maybe that helps explain like this stat, the fact that the Knicks, if I'm, unless I'm, uh, I'm delusional from it, it's, it's very warm in New York today. So maybe, maybe I'm losing my mind, but if I remember correctly, the New York Knicks were the number one defense in basketball after the all-star break this year. And that was with playing like a lot of guys like quickly, who's a good defender, not an amazing defender. RJ, who I thought pretty badly regressed defensively the second half of the season. Julius, who was was god awful. Uh, Evan Fournier, who's who's not who's not a turnstile, but he's not good. He's he's bad if anything. Uh, Obi Toppin, who works hard but struggles. All that is to say, like there's an argument that in the in a lot of starting lineups, like Mitch was the guy defensively. And if the Knicks were, even if they were only top five post all-star break, whatever the stat was, they were really good. And that's, look, that's a credit to Tibbs who, who we rip apart all the time. It's pretty amazing that he got that out of that group, but it's a huge credit to Mitchell Robinson anchoring that kind of defense. And it gives you an idea that it, it's almost like when they lost Reggie Bullock last year, and we sort of hand waved it and said, all right, not a big deal. He was fine, solid defender, solid three-point shooter. And just, just losing that bit of solidity just had a cascading effect and caused all these unintended consequences I think it could be similar. You lose Mitchell Robinson. You say, you know, we're going to play Nerlens Noel. We're going to play Jericho Sims. It's going to be fine. It might be worse than you think. And, and this team that was disappointing last year, just missing the playoffs, I, I wouldn't say they tumble off a hill because I think pretty much everyone else on the roster is going to be better. And they should, if anything, replicate last season. But I don't see them getting better without Mitchell Robinson pending some game-changing move that we're not anticipating. Uh, but we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit of Jericho Sims, a little bit of Nerlens Noel. Uh, but first... If you want to bet on Mitchell Robinson's next destination, I assume they have odds on that. They certainly have odds on another center I'm going to mention in a second. Uh, you can check out our partners at Bet Online as they continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. 
And I would throw some money down on DeAndre Ayton's next team, if not the Phoenix Suns. Surprisingly, I guess, I guess BetOnline thinks Mitch is coming back to the Knicks because Ayton is not, or the Knicks rather, are not on there for Ayton. Um, but it's the Pistons, Magic, Spurs, Pacers, Blazers. I kind of like the Blazers in there at six to one are pretty interesting because I think Yusuf Nurkic is going to leave. I could see them throwing some major money down to get uh, Damian Lillard, the pick and roll partner and defensive stopper of his dreams. Um, so remember, Bet online, it's where the game starts. And with that, we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast, your first listen today and every day. And uh, we are going to talk the other options at the center spot. So, Alex, if we if we assume there's a world where the Detroit Pistons, and, and this was another note from our friend Mark Berman, who, who noted that the Pistons' pursuit of uh, maybe DeAndre Ayton, maybe Mitchell Robinson, will be all the more vigorous because they fell down in the draft and will in all likelihood, overwhelming likelihood, unless they trade up, not have a shot at taking Chet Holmgren and in turn uh, would more likely uh, try to sign a center uh, in free agency. And that's a very clear position of need for them. So assuming we live in that world and and the Pistons just outbid the Knicks for for Mitch and Mitch says, sign our, see you guys, bye. Uh, Two options, Sims and Noel. Do you feel comfortable if it's those two and Taj Gibson heading into next season as your center rotation? No. <laughs> right answer. I mean, yeah. I mean, so it, it obviously it sort of worked in 2021 when Mitch got hurt and Noel stepped in really admirably. And despite all of his offensive deficiencies, he was legitimately awesome on the on the defensive end in 20 to 21. And Taj, you know, is like the ageless wonder. We saw him this year still a number of times defending guys on the perimeter, like doing the the Mitch special and blocking guys three-pointers and stuff like he busts that out every once in a while just as a fun trick Uh, you know and sims i think this year was was really really eye-opening in in just how good he was especially down the stretch but it it comes with the same caveat that we have for even emmanuel quickly obi Toppin. you know a lot of the young guys down the stretch of like you're facing a lot of teams that were sort of airmailing it you know going into the playoffs or also, were like, well, who I shouldn't say also the Knicks weren't doing this, but who were like mega tanking, you know, sitting guys and all this other stuff. The Knicks played a lot of like G League level competition down the stretch this year. And Sims had some of his best outings during those games. You know, I'm not saying that that we should discredit it, but, you know, that we still need to see Sims sort of do his thing against a, a higher level of opponent. Now, he did have some really good minutes against like Joel Embiid, for example, which I, I don't think deserve to be forgotten either. Um, but it, you know, we need to see more of a sample size out of Sims and, you know, to get back to Noel, like this year proved the worst of the Nerlens Noel experience, which was his, he was hampered by injuries all year because he's built like a paperclip, you know, he's, he's very prone to, you know, nicks and cuts and didn't really experience much of that during the 2021 season, which was a boon for the Knicks. But normally he's. You know, he's going to be banged up a lot because he's so much skinnier than everybody else that he's playing against usually. And, you know, this year it was like his knee. They just didn't they didn't let it heal for most of the year. You know, it was just he he banged it up and then they were trying to have him play on it. And he was without his full range of mobility and athleticism. He is basically useless because if he's not giving you like plus 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 defense, he's giving you minus 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 offense no matter what. Uh, because the guy just can't catch the ball and cannot do anything on offense, you know, outside of 
maybe sometimes catching a lob, you know, if you throw it exactly perfect and, and it's the third Tuesday in, of the month and the, you know, the moon is, the moon is waxing and whatever, like, it, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, the one day every once in a while where he's, he's that good, but you know, I don't, I don't trust him to be like the starter. Like that was something that Berman said that like made me really raise my eyebrows and go, Oh no. <laughs> like when he's like, Oh yeah. If Mitch walks, like, I think the plan is to just start Noel. I'm like, Oh God, please don't like do something, anything other than doing that. Um, I would love if Sims could turn into a, you know, a great player that the Knicks can invest in. And certainly they'll, they'll have him at a bargain again this year because he signed a two, two year, two way contract. So they'll have at another year at a major discount. Um, and then maybe going into the next year, still won't have to sign him for a huge amount of money. Uh, so that would be great. But I just, I don't know how I feel about, about handing him the keys so soon. I don't know how I feel about trusting Nerlens Noel with anything. And Taj eventually is going to hit the wall. He sort of like half hit the wall this year. I don't think he had nearly as good of a 21-22 as his 20-21. to So the incumbent options on the Knicks, I, my basic opinion is like, if you're letting Mitch walk, you got to at least go after a, you know, let's not say it's even a, a, a big time thing, like going after like a, a DeAndre Ayton in free agency or a, uh, Miles Turner, um, you know, via trade, you know, maybe you don't try to rock the world that way, or maybe you don't even invest in like, like Jalen Duran or someone like that in the draft, you know, uh, you got to at least then look at like a JaVale McGee type, like a, a journeyman that you can throw a one-year contract at and have fill minutes for you. If slash when Noel gets hurt, Sims gets in foul trouble, Taj just, finally breaks down because he's like 38 years old. I mean, you got to have another plan, but you also don't want to be carrying four centers on the roster. So probably one of those guys has to go and you have to slot in a more dependable journeyman. I think if, if you're going to go with the incumbent option there. Yeah. I think, I think Taj, as much as I hate to say it, like maybe he doesn't have to be gone because in like some ways he can just be your honorary, like Udonis Haslam spot, like 15th man. The roster spot. Just bring him on as a coach at that point, you know? Like, maybe. I mean, I mean, the Heat do it with Haslam every year, and I guess it's working out decently for them. But but I mean, to your point, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it seems it seems like a wild thing to do. And I just but between Taj and Nerlens, it feels like at this point you have like 0.75 of a player, right? Just because of availability and like level of like activity. And that's not Taj to your point was still awesome last year for stretches. Nerlens can be great when he's fully healthy, but there's just a million caveats with those two at this point. They're just not reliable. And Sims, he was incredible for the 58th pick in the draft, right? And I, I want to finish that sentence with, but he was still the 58th pick with the draft. And, and that pains me to say, because I think he can be a lot more than that. I think he'd be really good. I think eventually he might end up being the better player than Mitchell Robinson, right? But if you're, if your goal is to get back to the playoffs next season, he can't be your starting center because you just don't know enough about him yet. And there were there are too many games and times where he just doesn't quite know what he's doing out there. And that's normal. That's completely normal for a rookie, even for a second-year guy. That is totally normal. And he had flashes of real brilliance, like that that bit of verticality on Kevin Durant. And offensively, when you, when you see those little flip shots from him and a little bit of a post game and some of the passes he'll throw off of offensive rebounds where he immediately picks out a guy on the wing. For an open three. There's real talent there. There's real vision. There's real basketball IQ. I'm a big Jericho Sims fan. If he's your starting center next year, you, you cannot you cannot reasonably argue that you have playoff aspirations unless the Knicks just know something we don't. And he, and he makes a massive, massive leap this offseason. But I'm with you. I think there has to be some kind of veteran placeholder. I know he's like he's kind of more powerful than center. 
I've argued for Bobby Portis. I guess in some ways we're almost arguing against ourselves with this because we both advocated that Obi Toppin is the center of that position. And theoretically, uh, if Nerlens was hurt and Taj was old, like Obi would all of a sudden get a whole lot of minutes there. But I'm okay with OB just being the primary power forward next year and Julius Randle being gone and that being it. So I know I've argued against myself and, and uh, to quote uh, Noho Hank and Barry, I, I've crisscrossed myself like four different times, but I would go with some kind of veteran and Jericho Sims. And then one of Tajer Nerlens is the third guy um, in the scenario that Mitchell Robinson leaves. Yeah. I think that would be my solution too. I just don't, I, I don't think you could just say, let's just roll with the guys that are already on the roster if Mitch leaves, because it's just, it's, you're not going to be able to replicate 2021 again. You know, just that was an anomaly year in so many ways with what Nerlens and Taj did. Uh, as far as Taj still producing his, at as high of a level as he did at his age, even two years ago, and Nerlens managing to stay healthy at that amount of time. It's just, it's not going to happen again. You know, so I think it would be wise to, I mean, if it was up to me, I would probably try to ship Nerlens, but as some sort of deal to, you know, get some other player, you know, like use him essentially as salary filler because he's going to be a, a expiring contract or trade him off to some center needy team for like a second round pick or something if they if they felt like they wanted a player like him. And then just go hit the free agent market and just say like, who can we get for roughly the the veterans minimum or maybe like part of the mid-level exception or something, you know, don't go crazy, but spend a little bit of money and just get someone dependable that – you could say, hey, for the first part of the year, you're probably going to start. And then we're going to try to transition Jericho Sims in uh, as the starter as the year goes on. So, like, just be prepared for that. But, like, you know, we really want you here as a, a stable veteran presence. Who that is, I don't know. It, you know, I referenced JaVale McGee. He's sort of like the consummate that dude at this point in his career. Um, it's like everywhere he goes, he's always really good and just fits into whatever role the team wants him to fit into. Granted, he's mostly played for contenders the last number of years. So, you know, maybe that's sort of what his uh, his, you know, want list is at this point in his career is just to play on veterans minimums for title contenders. But if he'd be willing to come to the Knicks for like, I don't know, a million or two million dollars more than what like the Suns or some other contender was offering him, I would definitely look at him as a, a potential option or, or someone of that ilk uh, to come and play in front of Jericho Sims for a little bit as you kind of groom him. But I, I think that's. It's not my preferred plan necessarily, but I, I can just say with 100% certainty that if what Berman said came to fruition and they were just like, Nerlens can do it, I, I would not feel good about it. I, I It's not a knock on Nerlens, but he just hasn't proven, not even just with the Knicks, but over the course of his whole career, that he could stay healthy and give you, you know, uh, even 65 games of production every single year. Um you know, and and this year proved that he's very prone to getting, you know, just kind of nicks and bruises throughout the year. And, and I don't want to have to deal with that. So uh, I, would, I would definitely prefer shipping him off and getting someone else, I think. I'm in total agreement. And that'll wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, uh, we'll be back uh, later this week with a couple of special guests, uh, we hope. We, we have one book for sure, but we'll, we'll have a really good episode for you guys on Tuesday. I can promise you that much. But until then, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Peace out for now. We'll talk to you soon.